Today we're going to wrap up our series about being drawn to Jesus. Uh, For the last few weeks, we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke at some stories of how Jesus interacted with with different people and how those people were were drawn to place their faith in Jesus. Um, Some of the questions that they asked, some of the struggles they, they had. And we've taken a couple of detours along the way to kind of look at the opposite and think about sometimes some of the things that the, the church or perhaps we do that, does, that pushes people away from faith or pushes people away from church because that's a reality as well. Last week I asked um, those of you that were brave enough to, to work through the technology to help um, answer the question, what do you think attracts people to Jesus today? And that generated this word cloud. I appreciate those of you. I think there were 77 of us, if you're curious about those kind of things. 77 of us um, typed in a word or two um, about our, our thoughts to that question in today's world. And the way word clouds work, the, the responses that were most frequent, those are the larger words there in the middle. So, so you see some that are maybe obvious, some that we would count on. Love and forgiveness being the, the two most frequent responses. Um, then they are followed closely f- by some other words like hope, peace, grace, compassion, mercy, acceptance. All things that I, I see a few people's heads nodding. Things that, yeah, those, that makes sense. That those things, those positive things lead people to Jesus at different times. I also found it interesting that there were a, a few words that were mentioned that are just as, as legitimate, um, that, that aren't really on the positive end of the spectrum. Um, a couple of words like loss and tragedy, those things that happen in life that open our mind up to, okay, there's, there's something at work bigger than me here, and, and point us to, to consider God, to consider faith. And that's really sets us up for today's uh, scripture passage in, in Luke chapter 13. Um, and, and the idea that sometimes in life we just look to God for answers. We as a people tend to want to figure things out. We really don't like mystery that much. We want things to be explained. Why did this happen? And that's how... Luke chapter 13 starts. And I invite you to follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 1. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. I'm going to pause there, and I forgot to warn you, um, this this section in in Luke 13 is is kind of four distinct parts. So instead of reading the whole thing and talking about it, we're we're going to pause as we go. And this first section here, it's important for us to to understand what's going on. What what are these people talking about here? Jesus has been teaching in a large crowd, preaching, talking, interacting. 
And it's almost as if someone raises their hand, someone interrupts him and says, Jesus, what about this situation over here? What about this time? And, and they use the words um, that the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. And unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about what, did that, what exactly happened. What is this person in the crowd talking about? The historians, scholars, they're really kind of at a loss here. There is one similar, perhaps, story um, that we know of that's on record that, that gives us an idea, and I'll just share that with you to kind of help paint the context here. Um, there was a, a previous period when Pilate, a Roman governor who was known to be prone to violence, um, he decided he wanted to build a new aqueduct. He had this public works project that he was going to, to make happen, but he had to fund it. So Pilate decided he was going to go into the temple treasury, money that wasn't his, money that was of the Jewish people, and he was going to take that temple money and fund his, his aqueduct project with this money. And of course, the, the, the Jewish people, the religious people at that time, they, they were not happy. They, they really didn't have any power, but they weren't happy. So what they did is they began to, to gather kind of this public protest. And Pilate saw what was happening, and, and he decided that he would send his troops into this crowd, dressed undercover, dressed to blend into the crowd, and they would each kind of have their dagger hidden under their cloak. And when Pilate gave the signal, which he did, the soldiers pulled out their daggers and just started killing the Jews that were protesting. And that was Pilate's solution to, to end this protest and, and move on. So that's probably not exactly what happened in this story, but it gives us a glimpse of what happened. And, and so, so this, this person in the crowd raises, what about this, Jesus? Like you and I often do. What, God, what about this? When tragedy happens, when somebody dies, when, when something unjust happens, Jesus explained this. But Jesus doesn't explain it at all. Instead, he, he says, repent or you too will perish. And then Jesus moves on to talk about something not, not that happens at the hands of an evil killer, but just a calamity that happens in life. This tower happened to fall 18 innocent people died. And Jesus brings that up as too, as well. Repent, or you too will perish. I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking some liberties here, but, but the way Jesus responds to this, he, he's, he's saying, you're asking the wrong question. We all want to know why. Why do bad things happen? Why do tragedies strike? Why do hurricanes move through Florida? Why up in Columbia does some person throw a 24-year-old woman off a bridge? Why do fires rage and, and floods wipe things out? Why, 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 why? And it seems like Jesus is saying, all of our days are numbered. It might not come at the hand of a violent person. It might not come in some natural disaster or tragedy, but all of our days are numbered. So focus on the part that you control on the days you have. And in that, repent. Repent. If you grew up in, in Sunday school like I did, you probably know that the word repent means to turn away from. Specifically, turn away from sin, turn toward God. 
for me, my working de- definition of, of repent means to, to, to stop living for myself, to stop being selfish, self-centered, and do my best, even though I fail at it every day, do my best to live for God. Stop living for myself, live for God. And that's Jesus' message here, repent. And so as Jesus sets this stage, then he moves on to tell a, a very brief parable, which, which seems kind of odd as, as we get into this. And this is verse 6. I invite you to follow along with me. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? But the gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So Jesus takes this turn and and introduces this, this parable that in some ways doesn't seem to fit at all. Um, talking about this, this fig tree that was planted with the purpose and obvious, you know, it, it, was, it was there to produce figs. And that's what the owner, that's what the guy that planted it expected of it. And I was curious, okay, how long does it take for a normal fig tree on average to produce figs? So I, so I looked that up. It's three to five years. And, and I begin to wonder, Jesus doesn't spell it out here in this story, but, but did the man... Was this year three, the, the, the tree was planted exactly three years ago, and he was there right on the dot, impatient, you know, I'm, I'm expecting figs right now. I'm expecting the fruit that this tree should produce right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he planted it before that. But we know he's come back three different years, and he's finally lost patience. He's finally to the point of this thing, this living being, that has this purpose in life is not doing what it was created to do. I've had it. Cut it out. Cut it down. Get rid of it. And and of course, the parallel Jesus seems to be talking about here is the fig tree not fulfilling its life purpose and turning to our lives and the lives of his listeners. Repent. Repent. Fulfill your purpose in life. Fulfill your calling. Do what you were intended to do with life, in life. And I think that's, that's so challenging in so many ways. But, but again, it's, it's what Jesus is trying to get his people as, as they are asking him questions, coming to him with all their life problems. He's trying to help them see the bigger picture. Your days are numbered. Don't worry about the things outside of your control. Don't worry about the, the violence that you can't control. Don't worry about the natural disasters that are out of your hand. Worry about the days in your possession and live them for God. Live out your purpose. Live out your calling in life. And up to this point in Luke chapter 13, it's, it's almost like Jesus has been teaching the, the lecture part of the class, if you will. Everyone's gathered around. Uh, if it were a classroom setting, they'd be at their desk taking notes. They'd have their textbooks open, learning what, what the, the lesson is in, in their minds and in, in the textbooks. 
and we're getting ready to move to where they get up, they close their books, they walk out across the hall into the lab, and they roll up their sleeves, they're getting ready to get their hands dirty, and they're getting ready to apply what they learned. And that's what happens next in chapter 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had been crippled that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When he saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. Jesus put into practice what he in this story and and everywhere else we read about him, he talked about. Out of his love for God, he loved people. He was going about his business. He saw a woman who was in need, a woman who was hurting, a woman who, who needed help, and he helped her. He had compassion. He cared for her. He got involved in her life and changed her life. And I don't, I don't have much more to say about this, but we're going to read in just a, a few more verses about how sometimes how how hard that is for us to do it it seems so simple here i was i was talking to somebody last week or the week before about how how sometimes we make the christian faith so complicated and if we look at jesus's life and how he lived it, it doesn't have to be so complicated repent live for god instead of living for myself as Jesus said so often, love God and love people. And as he lived that out in this passage, loving this person. And what makes it so complicated, but for Jesus it wasn't complicated. He, he didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care what he was about to run into with the religious leaders, what they were about to say to him. He didn't care that he would raise some eyebrows by placing his hands on this woman that he shouldn't be touching. He did what he knew God wanted him to do. And a woman's life was changed. He had compassion on her. He cared for her. He changed her life. But unfortunately, in our world, things get complicated, as they did for Jesus. And this is how this this passage ends. In verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away and give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, Be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Jesus did what he knew he was to do. He shared God's love with this woman in need. He got called out for it. He he was criticized. He He was talked about. The, the rebellion by the Pharisees against him grew and grew in, in the future. 
And ultimately, he paid the price for that with, with his arrest and, and death. As I think about this, this idea of, of what draws people to Jesus today, um, you know, the, the, the challenge, obviously, is Jesus isn't walking around our streets being able to do this himself. He's counting on us. He gives us the privilege of being his hands and feet in this world. And I just invite all of us to think about today, what does it mean, as Jesus talked through this story, what does it mean for each of us to repent, to maybe live less for ourselves and more for God, to live more about loving God and loving other people. When we see a need that we don't complicate it, God wants us to love that person. I don't need to worry about if their lifestyle I understand or is like mine. I don't need to worry about their background or their history or, or what they think about God or not. I need to follow what Jesus did in this situation. I see a person in need, I have compassion, and I do what I can to help them. And we see in the very last sentence of this story, the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. As God's people, as God's family, as First Baptist Church, as, as we have that privilege and we do our best, we're never going to be perfect at it, but as we do our best to live that out, that's the kind of faith, that's the kind of, of congregation, that's the kind of church that, that people are drawn to. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we're, we're so thankful for these stories about Jesus. We're thankful that you show us how to live, that you show us that, that when it all comes down to it, the Christian life doesn't have to be that complicated. But it's about loving you, loving other people. To follow in Jesus' footsteps the best we can every day. And that through that, others can experience your love the way you shared your love with us. God, we're so thankful that you have compassion on us, that you are a part of our lives, that you seek us out and that you love us no matter what. Help us to share that with others in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.